I think the weather forecast here in New York is pretty good, but of course, San Diego will outdo us. Yes, probably sunny and 65 or something like that in San Diego. I think you nailed it. That's uh, <laughs> that's the default forecast. If you're a weather forecaster in San Diego, you just say that, and you're probably right 80% yeah, of the time. <laughs> Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence, Jason Wallace, and Mike Nicoletti. Each week, we discuss topics ranging from geopolitics and macroeconomics to energy and technology. You can sign up for our newsletter at telltales.us. That's T-E-L-L-T-A-L-E-S dot U-S for additional data and content you can use to follow along. The following conversation is intended for informational purposes only. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. Let's start. Once again, I'd like to start on the last page, Exhibit C. I don't really have too much to add here on oil, except to compliment the crown prince and and Putin on uh, engineering their, their latest reduction because I think oil would trade lower had they not done that. Now the question will be is, will that be enough? And the problem is a combination of supply, and you can see the surplus capacity at 2.8. I, I picked these numbers up from our, our government, uh, EIA, which is part of the Department of Energy, I think, does these numbers, and I just rearrange the numbers so that so they're more useful. I get them all on one piece of paper. I'm sure the EIA, when they get to the next month, they, they turn out their, their tables and commentary once a month. I'm sure they will have a different number than the 2.8 of surplus capacity because you have to add the the you know the million, million and a half, whatever Saudi and, and UAE and and Russia have led to to that 2.8. So there's too much supply, and the uh, demand, for those of you who don't have the 20-pager, the demand this year is supposed to be up by about a million and a half barrels, and half of that is China, 15.2 to 15.9. China's, the OR, our use of crude and other liquids is 20.4, but I mean, we're not growing. So we're very dependent on the countries that grow. And China is the big one this year. People say India has been some publicity that India's population has just surpassed China. But just to give you an idea of the relative size of the two countries' economies, China uses just over three times as much oil as India does. 15.9 this year to 5.2. So China, how how things go with the China recovery from their lockdown is going to determine oil demand this year. And I, as I say, I think the cusp was defensive, not I mean not offensive, and and was well timed and and has kept the WTI price uh, over 75, which is terrific. Uh, if you turn to Exhibit B, for those who don't have the 20 pages, I'll try to 
outline the detail. The latest pricing here is natural gas and oil. Last week, the prompt oil price was 78. The average for 23 was 78. The average for 24 was 74. And the average for 25 was 69. This is backwardation, where the futures prices are lower than the current price. That's a significant flattening as compared to where it was earlier or last year. And that's a good sign. That flattening is is good. Uh, as far as natural gas goes, uh, natural gas bumped a bit. So the prompt month last last week was 224. The 23 average was 309. The 24 average is 365, and the 25 average is 423. Those are all up a good 20 cents. Now, what's going on here? Year to date, power is up three Bs. As you can see on the table up there, I have it up only one B, so that's good. The problem is that the table up above has averaged this year 100.5 Bs of dry gas, and Based on the plots numbers, it's been running at 101. Oh, 101 in April is not a not a good indication for averaging 100.5. So it'll be very good that 101 starts to slide. Production is up year to date, five bees a day, and because we had some warm weather here in the Northeast, uh, residential commercial is off about five bees, and then you recover about two and a half bees from the power being up. It is way oversupplied. Look at uh, the storage change in 2020, which was, you know, a very weak year, was a billion two per day, difference between supply and demand. And gas pricing got down to 220 average for the year. Here, off these numbers, the difference between supply and demand is going to be 3.4 bees a day. So that's three times what it was in 2020. And gas averaged, Henry Hub averaged $6 last year. And it, it you know, the, the strip says 309. But the last time I redid the table, I said 280. So we need to have production flatten out. Uh, we need to have. I mean, the, for the rest of the year, that residential commercial differential will decline because there are no more cold months. But it would be good for, for production to come down. As far as LNG, Freeport seems fully back. So averaging 13.5 this year seems pretty likely. The next one to come on is Golden Pass, which is a joint venture. It's just a, across the river from... Uh, our largest facility, Chenier, is a facility at Sabine Pass. It's a joint venture between Guitar Gas at around 70% and Exxon at about 30%. They build it as merchant. I don't think they have any contracts to sell it. And so they, they may take their time bringing that on under the theory that LNG has declined from uh, like before the winter and the early part of the winter in Europe, it was like $40 in MCF, and it's down, down, down around 10 or 11 now. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Qatar Gas and, and Exxon uh, late putting that on. The next project to come on after that is 
Venture, which is a private company, their second facility in Plaquemines Parish. I don't think that happens till late 24. So I have this concern. I mean, it's nice to have this incline in gas prices, but I have a concern when production goes up five bees a day. Now, that, well, that's a hangover from gas pricing being $6 last year and averaging three seventy and 23 So hopefully the recount will go down, the Haynesville will cool off, Marcellus is just flat because it's, it's very pipe-constrained. The problem is Permian gas, associated gas, is really tied to oil economics, so I'm a little worried, but happy to see happy to see that four dollar price in twenty five. On exhibit A, which is cash flow statement for the US federal government, with our federal government, the only thing I'll say is that with the debate over whether or not there ought to be limit on spending as part of the debt ceiling is if you go to twenty nineteen the year before COVID, and you take out all the non-discretionary spending and defense, you, you, you take out defense, you take out interest, the amount spent on everything else in our government was $910 billion. Based on CBO forecast, now that number, that number, by the way, with COVID, went to $2.7 trillion from $900 billion to 2.7 trillion in 2020 to 2.9 trillion in 21 to 1.9 trillion in 22 these are september fiscal years and the cbl projects 1.4 trillion this year clearly clearly no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on this is too much money something like 200 billion dollars has to come out of that very difficult to do, but needs to happen. The fact that the Biden administration is is not willing to join in that effort is pretty irresponsible. So if the House passes their bill this week with their four-vote majority, I had an insight this morning reading the papers for the Senate to get their bill through is going to require 60 votes which means they need some Republicans. Kind of imagine if the House passes their bill and they have a lot of other things in it. The main thing being that that they take 22 spending, discretionary spending, and they cap the increase from 22 as a base year at 1% a year. If the Senate does something similar in order to get to 60 votes, I think the president will have to sign it, despite all the rhetoric that it's wrong and unfair and so on and so forth. But that'll all get determined, I think, in the next couple of weeks. I think if you had some extra cash and were trying to pick out your favorite stocks, which is what we're going to get to now, I think I would wait under the theory that the potential potential chaos that would come in the capital market from uh, not being able to get a debt ceiling increase might cause your favorite stock to trade for less next week, the week after, or the week after that. With that, I'd like to get get us focused on page two, 
which uh, for those who don't have the 20 pages is a comparison of Microsoft, Salesforce, Snowflake, and Oracle. Uh, these are the software companies. I, these numbers are updated through the end of the year. I worked on these last year. So the interim results are for last year, not necessarily for the first quarter uh, results, which have been announced for Microsoft, Oracle, and Salesforce are on a, a lag. They're not, and, and Snowflake as well. They, the fiscal year doesn't end December 3-1, it ends January 3-1 in the case of Snowflake and Salesforce and the end of February in the case of Oracle. But clearly Microsoft has done a pretty good job. Of course, has a lot of interest because of their commitment or their, their investment in open AI. Salesforce is faced with activist investors, three or four of them has said that they're going to try to put more emphasis on having uh, net income and free cash flow. Snowflake was, you know, the first, you know, everyone, everyone, including Berkshire Hathaway and others, uh, acquired Snowflake at the IPO. Jason or Mike will tell you whether, whether they're, uh, whether at 140, I guess it's still well ahead of the IPO price. Oracle is something I've owned and uh, Jason's become positive about. So I think we'd like to spend some amount of time of our remaining time on these four companies. Jason, why don't we lead off with you? Why don't we go from the right-hand side of the page? Your views on Oracle are that they, the Cerner acquisition was a good one to make and that, that having been kind of stagnant, that there should be more lift in, in the uh, Oracle uh, revenue and cash flow results. But over to you. Yeah, I, I do. I do like the Cerner acquisition. It hasn't really added as much growth to Oracle as I expected, but the healthcare system through COVID was kind of taxed dealing with that and, and the lack of other spending initiatives or elective surgeries and that kind of thing really held them down. And, and Cerner actually had layoffs, I want to say last year, or maybe the year before, kind of before, you know, before the current round of layoffs and tech companies that we're looking at now. So health hospital spending, you know, their budgets are still strapped. I don't, I don't see Cerner really going back to their growth days this coming year either. So it's kind of a longer term play there. The, the interesting new development at Oracle is their partnership with NVIDIA and, you know, NVIDIA kind of taking on the, the, the Amazon and Azure of the world and allowing, you know, this, this machine learning training model to be cloud available on the cloud. And, the, and then the partner they chose was Oracle in that. So I think that, you know, in the, in the much nearer term is going to have a, a bigger impact. Jason question for you on, I don't know if you saw this, but, I think Epic said that they're going to be implementing some chat GPT features for hospitals. They did. Yeah. It seems like Oracle would be in a really good position to do that as well. Definitely. Definitely. So I I'm, I'm with you on the, I think they've a lot of hospital systems have done nothing on the it front other than enable telehealth. Right. right. That's been right. like the big whack-a-mole. We have to get this product over the line in order to get through COVID. So I think the next couple of years will be probably pretty interesting. I don't know, I don't know particularly about Cerner, but it'll be an interesting period for hospital systems. Right, 
Right. And, and adding chat into Epic, you know, I just, I just wonder the way they're going to use that. Are they really going to edit, you know, patient records and doctor's notes? Are they going to make recommendations on uh, how you do certain billing codes or it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they. Yeah. I mean, the obvious one to me is when I go to buy GP or whatever, he's got an assistant that follows him around and types up whatever he says. Mm-hmm. And it's like, all he, all he would need to do with chat GPT is speak it and then it would all get arranged and put in and, and all that kind of stuff. Right. And he'd probably still have an assistant, double, uh, an assistant double check that it was all right. So I don't know whether it actually adds more efficiency. Right. And they've been working on that kind of technology for years. So I wonder if it's just, they're using kind of the, the buzzy language of today to describe things that they've had in the, in the works for a while. <laughs> I love that buzzy language. Jason, when he uh, gave up working for our, for the uh, U.S. government, had an opportunity to go to work for Snowflake, probably with a pretty low number on his badge. We probably ought to let Mike lead off on Snowflake uh, and then have Jason <laughs> fill, in, fill in the blank. To me, to me, in looking at it, he, he, they, they, they are at cash flow break even, I think. You see the free cash flow on this page, uh, a negative $200,000. I think uh, that that's probably uh, should be considered to be cash flow break even. But the question in my mind is, as I understand Snowflake's customer base, it's kind of very large companies, Fortune 500 companies, and with recession looming and, you know, the same kind of phenomenon where tech companies are laying off employees, will this find its way into putting budgets on on, on spending, IT spending for, for its client base? But over to you first, Mike. So I'll let you know when I start seeing tears stream down uh, <laughs> Jason's face. Um, <laughs> it's at the enterprise value line. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, and and to pick on Jason a little bit, I'll you know hit what he told me about when he was approached by by Snowflake is that he's like, well, why would somebody build software for that? That's what I do, or something along <laughs> those lines, right? So Jason was the one being you know, outsourced, or if you will, with yeah. that software. So I guess the decision to go there would have been, if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> but the, the other thing to keep in mind here, I think you're going to see organizations shift more IT spend to services rather than develop stuff in-house. And one of the drivers of that is the ability to expense R&D goes away this year, I think, unless things don't change. So services like Snowflake that you maybe could otherwise have a bunch of, you know, your own in-house team, and Jason can probably provide a little more clarity on that. Maybe Snowflake makes it easier for you to do a certain amount of stuff uh, rather than do your own development. Um, If that's, you know, if that's the case, and now you have to amortize that R&D expense over five years, that services like this are going to get more, get more looks from IT department. What do you think, Jason? I, I, I agree with that, yeah. And 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 you mentioned it's it's like the Fortune 500 companies and the bigger companies that are their customers, and, and that's more of a recent development. It was more of the midsize, faster-moving companies that adopted Snowflake, you know, in the last few years. And 
one thing they've been saying is is that you know the Fortune five company Fortune five hundred companies are are slower movers, so they're slower to expand their use of Snowflake, and that and that's why the growth has really come down. And it's not it's not necessarily that fear of the future and and that kind of thing. And as Mike alluded to, they're they're deploying these technologies because they need to, and it's it's going to help their cost structure and not you know it's it's not they're not holding back the purchase because of the the economy. It doesn't seem like. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'd argue that within an IT department or whatever department's running the budget for Snowflake, it's not unlike that of budgeting for GPU time, right? If you're running workloads on Snowflake, they have a high cost, but you generally have a high value. So it may be the tightening will be more of a stringent oversight that, hey, we're running high value projects on this and we're not, you know, running the wrong size experiments, for example. So I think uh, I haven't seen anybody say we're not getting out any value out of Snowflake. Right. Jason, how do you, how do you see AI programs affecting Snowflake and its customer base or the interaction of Snowflake with their customer base? They've spoken to, to how they're going to integrate AI into into their service and and i don't doubt that they will and you can use snowflake as your training data you know your corporate data stored in snowflake as your training data but i i think we've alluded to it on a on a previous call but they that has to be you have to have a source of truth somewhere and snowflake really is that that service so all of your data there and you want to pull out very specific knowledge and you know specific numbers specific invoice that you charged someone six years ago, whatever that may be, it's stored in Snowflake and you need, you need the factual data behind it. And as we've seen with, with these language models and, and the other generative AI stuff is, is, you know, they can take creative liberties and, and if it doesn't know the answer, it might make something up that happens less frequently than it gets stuff right. But, but you don't know when it does happen and when it doesn't. So you need the source of truth to, to be able to prove certain things. And I, and I think, you know, having that in a, in a, in, in a corporate business, business intelligence tool, that, that won't go away. So, you know, the, the Snowflake's core product seems safe for now. Any comment, Mike? Uh, not really. I, I agree with that. Yeah. Salesforce, Mike and Jason should lead you through their deliberations and owning Salesforce, selling it, and then wishing they hadn't sold it. But I guess since we uh, we uh, we were kind of beating up on Jason talking about Snowflake, I guess <laughs> over to Mike for uh, Salesforce. Yeah, this was a painful one. We bought we bought Salesforce because we thought they were well positioned to fly under the regulatory radar, and that they probably hadn't fully monetized to the point where they probably could. A few things happened in that intervening period. One, software multiples came way down. We had a, a projection as to where we thought the operating margin should get over time. And it wasn't until software multiples came down, a couple of activist investors got involved and laid out the relatively obvious case that we, we, we were pointing out too, but we had bought it at a much higher price, saying this business should be far more profitable. And... So we felt relatively good about that. The problem was Benioff's response. And we ultimately came to the conclusion that the culture was sort of endemic and the ability 
we were kind of resting on Benioff to be the one to make the changes that are going to be difficult. And we sort of took the bet that we didn't feel as confident about that as we would have liked to. So we exited the position, which is fine, but you, you never you never love to watch a stock go up after you exit. What we've seen is the activists have sort of gone away because just the stir that they made rose the stock price. So we'll we'll kind of see over the next few quarters to see what the impact of it. I'll also add that this generative AI thing is having a tailwind for Salesforce as well. With any new technology, it's the easiest and first step is to apply it to the existing technology that's out there, right? Apply it to your existing workflow to make said workflow better, which is why we're looking at Microsoft taking ChatGPT and applying it to search through Bing Chat or whatever they're calling it. You're going to see Salesforce do the exact same thing with their existing CRM. They hold a bunch of data, your customers' proprietary data, and they're going to provide some tools that make it easier for salespeople to maintain relationships with their customers or you know, p- you know, pick your list of important high-value things that they can provide. And that will provide certainly short-term and you know, probably long-term increased ability to monetize the customer. So the combination of the activists and the sort of tailwind from the impact of AI, I think, has benefited the company in a lot of ways. And it's still up in the air as to how or if Salesforce will and needs to modify their culture in a way that will make them more profitable over time. Yeah, they're free cash flow. I mean, 30, $31 billion of revenue and uh, $4.3 billion of free cash flow, where Oracle with $49 billion of revenue is $9 billion of free cash flow, but the free cash flow generator that's really spectacular is Microsoft, and there with $200 billion of revenue, you know, just under $70 billion of free cash flow, it's really just remarkable, at least it, in the 280-85 range, you know, not that expensive. I mean, 31 times free cash flow, that'd be a the inverse of that'd be a free cash yield of three percent, and showing, you know, some some chance for for some growth from that. But Jason, in in looking at their investment in OpenAI, you do you think there's a chance that this is kind of buzzy, or do you think that the, <laughs> to take the word we used earlier, <laughs> or 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 do you think this is as the CEO said, a kind of a, a once or twice a generation kind of opportunity for for Microsoft and and for software businesses in general. I I definitely think it is. It's a you know once a decade technology shift that we've run up on. It's been called the iPhone moment. You know the the language models are are revolutionary. I think you'll. When when they finally release the the office product that has all of this generative AI built into it, we'll really see the the capabilities there. Uh, there's a demo that they've released, a demo video of it out there. It's really fascinating to watch. And what particularly sticks out to me in that one is is how easy it's going to be to generate very polished professional PowerPoint presentations quickly. No one likes PowerPoint, but 
it, it, you won't spend all day making a, a nice looking presentation. It'll be, you know, a 30 minute process that's more collaborative with a chat tool than it is like dragging boxes around. I think that will just dramatically increase everyone's productivity that uses office tools and who's not going to pay an extra $10 a month per seat or $20 a month per seat to have those. It's, it's well going to be worth it. It's going to, you use it one time a month and it's going to pay for itself. Here, here's an example. I, I made a tear sheet for top market capital partners uh, yesterday and one of the, I had a weird formatting thing that required a custom formatting code. And instead of figuring it out by hand or Googling how to do it, I just put it into chat GPT. I said, make me a formatting code that, that does basically dollar sign thousands and K. So if you want to show, you know, 50 K $50,000, instead of it taking up the whole space of five, zero comma, zero, 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 you just say 50 K. It requires a little special coding. Anyways, put that in chat GPT. It spits it right out and I can copy it, paste it right in. That's just super minor detail kind of thing that we can do today with chat GPT. But once it's incorporated, the tools fully incorporated into PowerPoint or word or whatever, you're really going to be able to use the rest of the features of those products that most of us don't use at all because they're just, you know, only power users really get to use them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and the CEO of Microsoft said something interesting yesterday that they're not leading in, in the hyperscaler cloud. Azure is not the leader. AWS is, but they're gaining a ton of customers on Azure because everyone's using the open AI tools. So if you build, if you build their chat GPT into your application, you're now a customer of Azure. And I thought that was a, a really interesting way to look at it and, and not inaccurate at all. The other page I updated over the weekend was page eight, which is Walmart, Target, Lowe's, and Home Depot. And we basically chewed through our 30 minutes, but just a commentary on uh, free cash flow. Walmart is our largest retailer with over 600 billion of sales. And they bring that down to 13 billion of free cash flow. Home Depot is large, but a quarter of the size, 150 billion, and they bring $21 billion down to free cash flow. Uh, Lowe's is about two thirds the size of Home Depot. It's about 100 as compared to 150, and they bring 10.5 billion down to free cash flow. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean Walmart is a bad business because I don't think it is. It's remarkable how well these businesses are organized because there are a lot of moving parts in them, a lot of stores, a lot of employees, lots of different items that they sell. So one of, one of the things that we might put on the agenda next week is, you know, we look at AI and, and the different software tools and whatnot, or for that matter, picks and shovels, you know, NVIDIA and AMD and whatnot. But one of the places where these kinds of developments are going to make a difference is in these large retailers in terms of being able to operate more efficiently. If you look at Walmart, for example, on the 600, oh, more than 600 billion of sales, their cost of sales is around 450. 
but that they have $114 billion of SGNA. I gotta believe that that line, that SGNA line, is where a huge amount of improvement can be made with, you know, better software and AI will be part of that. So a, a real opportunity, I think, to be in businesses that benefit from uh, having better IT tools. And with that, everyone be well and stay healthy and we'll be on with you next Wednesday. Take care. The views expressed on this podcast are the hosts alone and do not constitute an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy, any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. While certain information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, neither the hosts nor any of their employers or their affiliates have independently verified this information and its accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Accordingly, no representation or warranty expressed or implied is made as to and no reliance should be placed on the fairness, accuracy, timeliness, or completeness of this information. The hosts and all employers and their affiliated persons assume no liability for this information and no obligation to update the information or analysis contained herein in the future and may or may not hold positions in the securities mentioned. 